All right, this is Tim Crispin. You're listening to Road to the Skeleton Coast with Brendan Kelly. Brendan, what's going on, Bubba? How are you? I am hanging in there, man. We are in snowpocalypse now here in Chicago. Uh, as I was saying to you in our uh, wonderful pre-production meeting, about up to my waist, the snow here. And that's like not in a drift. That's like how it fell. It's uh, it's no joke. It's a lot of snow. I'm really glad I live in a place with a peaked roof. Yeah. Because I, I never really understood that completely, like the utility behind the peaked roof. But it's so shit falls off of it. And it doesn't collect stuff up there. <laughs> and uh, now that, you know, it's my home that I own and I have a peaked roof and the snow falls off it. And I go, thank God. <laughs> Whoever invented that shit, you know. That sounds luxurious. I was uh, reaching from my deck over to one of the roofs on our house. Ooh, multiple roofs. And, and, and it sounds luxurious. My my life sounds luxurious, huh? Go on, Mr. I've got a few roofs. <laughs> levels. It's all about levels. No, it's pushing snow off of that so it would stop falling onto the spots where I just shoveled out so that the dogs could go out there with their little legs and go and take a poop and then come back inside. But yeah, we got we got mounds that are taller than the garbage cans that are at the end of the driveway right now. It's wild. It's, cra- it's crazy, man. If you live in a place that doesn't have snow, you're really missing out. But in a more real way, fuck you. Uh, <laughs> I would really like to be where you are. <laughs> I will say, though, I've gotten into this routine of like going out at 2 o'clock in the afternoon and just taking a lunch lunch break shoveling session good 30 minutes it's like i get a midday workout and then i come back inside yeah i mean the the shoveling has been the first exercise i've gotten in like two months and it because i've i just stopped i just Mm -hmm. stopped doing stuff man and uh it actually like feels good on the body and it's like makes me want to do more you know so maybe if jesus the baby jesus gives us a little more snow uh, maybe I'll get, become healthy and beautiful again. But until then, you're stuck looking at this every time we podcast. <laughs> well, like hey, speaking of snow. Torporous zigzag, man. <laughs> Torporous um, Ruined my beautiful transition. That's fine. I was going to say, speaking of snow, I listened to y'all talk about the state of Maine. Um, oh yeah to america snow you know yeah they, it does snow up in maine yeah um what uh tim is referring to for those of you who don't know is um i have another podcast called they come to america and uh it's hosted by my friend matt marty i am the assistant and this week we talk about the state of maine with um with my friend friend of the show luke o'neill who is a wonderful writer um famous famous guy um probably the most famous guy that's been on the show besides me um and (laughs) i'm kidding he's he's like 
like Rush, actually Rush Limbaugh talks about how he talked about how he was the the devil, uh, and this is the this is the kind of garbage we're up against, people. Um, so like Luke is really in like the public. I, I mean, probably you're out there listening to this, going, "Yes, we know who Luke O'Neill is." Um, <laughs> but yeah, he's on there talking about Maine, and it was it was it was a really fun time. The podcast is really lighthearted and easy, and he like brought in a fucking what Longfellow poem and recited it, yeah, yeah, and recited it, and and then, and then I was like, Longfellow, I probably had quite a dick on him, you know, <laughs> to have that kind of last name. <laughs> so, and then he proceeded to insult the whole operation, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, but it, it, it's a good time. Um, wherever you get podcasts, wherever you're listening to this, if uh, if you get um, done with all of the uh, Road to the Skeleton Coasts and you get done with the, the Better Yet um, library, which I'm sure we're about to talk about, I hope, uh, then go over to... They come to America, and it's it's fun, digestible. Forty five minutes. Each one's about one state, and they're they're pretty funny. The one we did this week is we did it yesterday. It's Indiana, and I, oh. dude, I know what you're thinking. Why didn't I ask you? Yeah. Because I got the guy that worked at the subway that Jared got skinny at. <laughs> <laughs> Who would you pick? <laughs> I stand down. All I would be able to talk about is Bobby Knight. I haven't been here that long, but my goodness. Yeah, everybody is like, you got to get Anthony from Kali Masi. He's the funniest dude. I was He's like, okay. I was like, he is. He is very, very funny. In fact, one of the funniest things I've ever done was like a two-man bit with him but he's no guy that worked at the subway when <laughs> where jared um i believe the phrase i used yesterday was used 12 inch hoagies to shit out two calista flockhearts worth <laughs> weight <laughs> shout out to calista flockhart uh, any friend of Harrison's is a friend of mine. Um, we took the week off at Better Yet, but as you were a podcast about Alkaline Trio, we just talked about She Lied to the FBI, where I invite all of you to go and listen to my Boston accent, because if you think my Australian accent is bad, my Boston accent is way worse. The secret to the Boston accent is the O. Everybody thinks that everything is flat, but that's Chicago, you know? Uh So, like, you know, like, this is like a Chicago accent, right? Everything is, like, really flat like this. But if you do, this is a Chicago accent. No, 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 this is a Boston accent. You know, like, it's like the dip down O is the whole. And then you got to say kid, son, or, like, if I'm talking to you, like, no, Tim. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. We're going. We're going o- over to uh, Harvard Square. Tim. Tim. No. You. You got. 
that's hilarious, Tim. <laughs> you know, like it, it's I, that, that is as much a part of the accent as anything. Is the constant repetition of the name of the person you're talking to. Oh, that's fantastic. So there you go. Now your accent's better. Thanks, dude. All right. So we're we're. Uh... <laughs> oh. No, that's really that's really quite bad. Yeah. <laughs> we are here this week to ramp up Skeleton Coast, the album by the Lawrence Arms. Seventh LP. We're gonna hear from Chris McGoggin, and we're gonna talk through these tracks with our guy here. We've got four of them left, but Brendan, I think we should do a whole another series that's just based off of the podcast about skeleton ghosts. How's that sound to you, buddy boy? So that means we're gonna listen to each of these old episodes, and then we're gonna review them. Yeah. Like sort of like this, this sort of like rings of a tree situation. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's it's structurally sound in terms of uh, it having a Lawrence Arms lyric antecedent. It sounds like it might get a little weird after a while. I think it'll be cool though to just like you know give people a little bit of insight into all the times that I had to go take a piss. Yeah, um, that is fun. Mm-hmm. But before we do that, we got to wrap this record up. We got four songs left. The first of those, uh, track number 11 on the listing is Goblin is Goblin Fox Hunt. I love the beginning of this, dude. Just fucking full on pick slides. Yeah. Um, so this, the idea of the beginning of this was. I mean, this is obviously a very simple song, the whole thing, but the idea of starting on the G and then going down, it's like sort of a bait and switch almost, uh, where you don't think that that's where the melody is going to come in. Like, that's not, those aren't the notes that you think I'm going to sing at first, right? So and, what, do you go, what do you go down to? Sorry to interrupt. Do you go from the uh, G to E minor? No, to F. Oh, okay. Um... Mm-hmm. Once I calm down a bit, it's a... yeah. Um, and um, and what it, it was based on, like the way that I feel like Operation Ivy wrote a lot of their chord progressions, mm-hmm. and I wanted it to kind of sound like Op Ivy. And so, like at the beginning of that, it's funny because this was a song that I thought was like maybe too simple to be on this record, um, and. Neil, this is one that he really was a advocate for. Um, beyond almost any, maybe any other song, even on the record, um, he was always like, "Well, of course, this song, yes, of hmm. course, you know." And 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 like, I just thought it was like kind of a simple, fun song, and I was really trying to do a last quarter of the Operation Ivy. Ivy uh, you know, discography album, like those, those last like six songs or whatever. To me, I was trying to make something that sounded like that. And, um, but he was like, yeah, this takes us in a, I believe he used the phrase bold new direction, (laughs) (laughs) which is, I mean, 
I, I stand here before you as the guy that wrote the song, and I, I can't say, like, I'm bummed about that description, but I... It's just like mm-hmm. a fucking simple ass punk song, you know. <laughs> like I don't, I don't, yeah. I don't know what he heard in it that I don't think I even heard in it. Mm-hmm. You know, um, mm-hmm. but uh, yeah, the beginning is like I, I don't even know that I said to Chris and Neil. I think it was just like we all were like, yeah, Operation Ivy. Uh-huh. Yes, that that's what it sounds like, you know, and totally. And the, the the whole song is kind of like a send up of, um, I guess the '90s <laughs> in general, <laughs> uh, like sound wise and lyrically. I mean, it's also a love song, you know. But yeah, it. Uh, I don't know. I, I'll tell you this. Like, pretty much every song on this record, this one turned out a lot better than I thought it was going to. Yeah. Did you did you work on that beginning a lot? Was that... Because I think I remember you saying that Neil was sort of like, all these songs start the same. Was this one that you sort of maneuvered into? No, that beginning was like the way I did it on the thing and neil was so taken with the fact that i started on the g but mm-hmm. it was a song in c so to start on the g almost all the chords in g and c are the same mm-hmm. but to start it on the g it makes your mind hear the key of g and then right as soon as you modulate down to like the to uh sort of like stamp it as a song in the key of c yeah, uh, everything changes, right? And I think that's what he really liked. I, I think that's the thing that really turned him on about the song. And so this song, I mean, like that's how it started. And Neil just, you know, like mm-hmm. wanting wanting to do like that really punk rock thing. And it, and then you know, I mean, Chris is there and being like oh we're doing top okay yes i i here's a bunch of pick slides you know like yeah and and like it's just like it's all kind of like no-brainer shit you -hmm. know like Mm -hmm. so no there's almost no effort went into the beginning of this song at all it was it was almost exactly how the um demo was conceived yeah, that makes sense though with the um, the G to the F. If you're thinking about it in G, that chord does sound weird. But yeah, if it's in C, it totally makes sense there. Yeah, it is not. Um, it, like I said, it's a bait and switch. It's a very like double A move uh, <laughs> in terms of like bait and switch type stuff. Like I'm not I'm not trying to I'm not trying to pump my tires at all because I started a song in G. I mean like fuck <laughs> You know, um but I mean there's there's more interesting constructions on this um on this on this very record, honestly. Mm-hmm. 
but it's just the idea that it stays on it long enough that you think you know what's happening. That yeah. that was the that was the idea, I guess. I love the uh, just the that opening line of like once I calm down a bit, it's over for you. It's <laughs> yeah, so fucking funny. It's uh-huh. got a little bit of like you won't like me when I'm angry energy to it too. Yeah, and it's also like um it's kind of a tip of the hat to like that social media trope that's like uh you know, once I blank it's over for you hoes. Mm-hmm. Like you know, mm-hmm. that's like something that like is out there all the time. And uh but the the idea about it is like I think And once I'm not too mad to respond to you, uh, <laughs> you really fucked with the wrong person. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> I think that's 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 like the way that I think of it. I, I don't know that that's how it comes across, but um, uh, that's 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 how I think of it. And well, it's just like, yeah, you better you better pray that like. The day doesn't come down, or the you know the hammer doesn't come down, because it will. I just don't feel like it right now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the thing is, like, the beginning of this song is generally like. I think this song goes from very public facing to very private. Yeah, yeah. Like the beginning. I mean, the opening line, like you just acknowledged, is basically a social media um uh, paraphrase right and mm-hmm. and then the next thing is about the kids in cages you know and it's just i think what the song is really about is like where your heart goes in this day and age and mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. like like i'm so mad at you i hate you all so much i don't even know you I'm so sad. I hate that this is going on and I hate that it's going on in my name and I can't do anything about it. Yeah. But you, I miss, you know, Mm -hmm. like, and that's Mm -hmm. just, that is just the reality of like how your heart has to work these days because like you're, you're locked into all these things in almost equal amounts, you know? And, Mm -hmm. um, I, I, I don't know. It's like it, he, that is a gamut of emotions that I run through, like on a daily basis. Yeah, I think it's like you know, just thinking about it in social media terms. It's insane to just like you know, you go on scrolling through, and it's like you know, you see music shit, you see like entertainment shit that you're invested in. Some of it that's just like you know, the the unavoidable top tier and then also like the like torture that our government is inflicting upon children and just like the, you know, emotional terror that we all go through just existing right now. Right. And then and then you go, oh, you know who I miss? That person I love. Yeah. <laughs> You know, and like, and it because that is that's a natural 
response to me, like to my soul, for um, for feeling like helpless and afraid. You know, mm-hmm. I guess maybe it's because I just like grew up with like just a mom or whatever, and you know, I've got like fucking weird issues about that or whatever or maybe that's how everybody is it's like you know when you feel helpless and afraid it's like uh i wish the person that i love was here right now loving me you know yeah and and uh that's sort of i think the the basic gist of the beginning of this song for sure mm-hmm yeah, and the hellscape kind of envelops everything. It's yeah. The, the Armageddon that everybody's sort of praying for, even though. Yeah, I mean, like, I think that that, like, you look like an angel covered in blood. I sound like a dipshit 90s emo core thug. Uh, Very Two pronged. Uh, number one, it's such a like, it's such a pickup line, you know, or like, mm-hmm. like, like, mm-hmm. like, like not one that. Well, I mean, I guess I did use it, but uh, <laughs> not, like, not in person. I wouldn't use, but, uh, uh but. It's sort of a little bit making fun of that stuff. And I went and I saw, I don't remember fucking who it was, but I got a free ticket to see a show at the Aragon Ballroom, which is a huge theater in Chicago. Mm-hmm. Uh, five and a half thousand. Okay. So um, if you. Jesus, I didn't. That's crazy. If you're listening out there. Um, and you've ever seen like the Alkaline Trio uh, anniversary tour video at Metro or Lawrence Arms video at Metro? It's five metros, okay? So it's it's huge. It's where Rise Against plays in Chicago, and Rise Against has had like top five albums. You know, yeah. um, I saw you open for Rise Against at the Aragon Ballroom. That was a fun show, actually. It was a fun show. It's like the the best pictures that have ever been taken of me live. Like usually, I just look like a fat, sweaty, like uh, Mario and Luigi's like unemployable cousin when I'm on stage. And that night, like whoever took those pictures, I think it was Katie Hovland. Uh, I look very handsome in all of them. And I'm just like, ooh, I like these. But now they're like <laughs> 10 years old. So it's like not even, it's completely disingenuous to use them, you know. For yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, um, I, was, I was at the Aragon Ballroom and I saw, we've talked about this actually, from autumn to ashes. Oh, <laughs> And I was so fucking revolted. Mm-hmm. And and I just... I don't remember who I was there to see. I, it's yeah, I think s- that was the trio. I saw From Autumn to Ashes open for the Alkaline Trio, and I think it was in that room. Well, then I'm positive that's the same show. Yeah. I mean... 
It was a, it was a vagrant tour. But I mean, what a terrible band. Um and it really stuck with me. I was like this 90s emo core thug thing is like I'm against it. Mm-hmm. Like I don't like surfer bro SoCal punks. Like I don't want that. Mm-hmm. You know I want emo core thug shitheads either. Like can we just? How about this? How about like we make music and don't have our dicks on the table somehow in the process? You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> like mm-hmm. anyway. So that lyric was directly inspired by me cringing through that from autumn to ashes show. And I know that they're in Jesus and (laughs) all sorts of whatever. (laughs) Who fucking cares? I I did, did not go for that shit either. That was a dark time in punk. I tell you what. Oof, I'll talk to you about it offline, man. It, was, it sure was. Uh, Patreon.com slash better sandwich. You should have been in the Lawrence Arms uh, touring during that. <laughs> Let me tell you. Good like we t- got glimpses of it. Good time. <laughs> hey, you guys ready for some guitar solos? <laughs> what? <laughs> Why doesn't the drummer sing? It didn't go well. It didn't go well. But you know what? Like the crocodile, like the mighty crocodile or the great white shark, like the tortoise, like the lowly mollusk, the slug, like the hermit crab, we have endured while the rest of these bullshit-ass species have died. Uh, And that's all I have to say about that. (laughs) Some of our friends, the hermit crabs, have found bigger shells. But we like this one! It's got character. And that's what matters most. Oh, I I think I meant horseshoe crab. I meant horseshoe crab. Oh, horseshoe crab. Yeah, yeah, they're cool, too. Um, They've They've got blue blood. Did you know that? Uh, the horseshoe crab has blue blood and like if they inject it like into you it cleans your blood so that's sort of why I think there's not that many horseshoe crabs left (laughs) but um, yeah it's so really Obviously, that's an oversimplified um, and totally wrong version of what actually goes down. Mm-hmm. But like, but they've got this like ancient like original serum, and it it'll it'll fucking hook you up. Uh, that's wild. Yeah, it sounds pretty- like uh, you know if you were super rich and you got like a disease, you could go down to some island and they could have some horseshoe crabs just. Yeah, no, I think that's I think that's what happens. I mean, I think that a lot of um, actually, uh, I think that horseshoe crab blood is used uh, to prevent infections in a lot of intravenous um, sort of surgical procedures uh, because it's 
I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm dangerously out of my element here, by the way. Uh, it's re- really sterile or it, it sterilizes your blood or it negates. Uh, like, I don't you can't inject horseshoe crab blood and get rid of leukemia. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. like obviously. But I think that it does. Uh, it does hunt blood infection, I think, like on a like a mild scale, like if you have tetanus or something like that. Um, truly yeah no it's neat and i mean those things are fucking disgusting as hell looking so let's take take their blood um anyway sorry that's not the point i love the bridge to this song it's so sweet and chris's arpeggios on the way out are really really nice the uh, we can never get out, we can never go back. That that part is that what you're talking about? Yeah, and then that yeah, I'll be funny again. Oh yeah, well the we can never get out. I actually had some real concerns about being able to hit that note yeah. in the studio. Like I was like, I did it on the acoustic demo, and those dudes were like, "Perfect, don't change a thing," and I was like, "Fuck." Man, that is high. But it turns out that, like, I could sing that high, no problem. It's, like, more like the middling stuff that sometimes is a problem for me. Uh-huh. Um, and, yeah, I, I mean, I did that on the – that's the first take on this. I mean, I could do it right now if you want me to. Uh, no, yeah, I know. It seems too loud. Um, but um, – and I think it's that's what leads into like the more personal, like love songy aspect of this. And and I think it well, first of all, that's my favorite melody on the whole record. We could never go back. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. that's that's like uh that that part is the a real nugget, like and it really it sets things off into and, such a cool territory. And then we get to the end. My man Chris McCoggin mm-hmm. was just like started doing this arpeggio and he's like, Yo, this sounds like the dead milkman to you. And I'm like, this sounds like the dead milkman to me. <laughs> and then he and I was like, why don't you layer it with something else? And then like we were just like mad sciencing, like layering it and layering it. And it's like it's a lot more guitars than you think it is there. Um but mm-hmm. they're just being silly and Neil is just like holding it down. You know, it's And then I like, hey, like that's a that's not a way that I usually like fuck with stuff, you know. And and like, but I thought it would just like the the part was so sweet, and I was like so in love. It's like Dead Milkman. It's such a love song from us to them, really. Um, Mm. Just like tonally, and like in terms of every single one of us are playing like the dead milkman at the yeah. end there. And 
And then it just didn't seem right for like any of my life. Oh, 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 oh. Like none of that sound sounded right, you know, but like, mm-hmm. hey, that, that sounded like, uh, like fun, like the way they do stuff. Yeah, it's like the right amount of silly. Yeah, and like, I don't know, it's, I just thought it was a sweet tribute, uh, which, it, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying I came up with, it It came together in the studio, very much so, and uh, Chris and Neil had a lot to do with that, but even though my baseline is ridiculous in that part. Like, there's no reason for me to be playing that much, but uh, it was just fun, you know? Like, that's the whole thing. It's like, this part was just fun. And the song is just fun. It's it's cute, and it's sweet, and it, like, wants to kiss you on the forehead, really. Yeah. Yeah. I love that you go from all you fucking goblins to where you end up. Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah. All right, let's throw it over to Chris for Lose Control. So, Lose Control, like, this This is a song that feels like it's fucking swinging for the fences. Really, like, the last three, four songs on this record to all feel like contenders for a last track. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. I don't disagree. Um... But I think this also, to refer to uh, Under Paris, too, it's like, you know, here's, like, thoughts from the perspective of the person who's actually setting the world on fire. Totally. Yes. Yeah. This this is a weird one, a little bit for me. Um, mm-hmm. Like, not my normal approach uh but this one kind of you know how like songwriters like to espouse and say about how you know sometimes you sometimes you just get lucky you know Mm -hmm. and uh, the song comes out in five five minutes and it's done yeah you know this this is pretty close to that for me um just like had some words that i was like fucking around with and then one line got me going and I basically wrote the whole thing and like all the words in like five minutes. Yeah. And then, and then just started messing around with the melodies, had some ideas and the, and then I was basically at a hundred percent, you know, really pretty fast for me. Um, yeah. Do you remember which line, like, was it the, Dear Black Hole, you read this? Or, like, what set it off? Um, I think actually what set it off was the... uh, I watched the oceans drown every city from my penthouse suite to keep the TV on. Yeah. Um, And 
then I was able to really like basically go linear in a linear way from there. Mm -hmm. And then I realized that like the deer black hole part, which came initially later was actually the table setter for the song. Mm -hmm. And that it was actually almost in a weird way and not clear again, like everything I say is like, I do not want to pretend like that I am designing this with pure intention mm-hmm. or anything. Cause that's just not how I work, right. you know? Yeah. So, so, but in my mind, when I was going through this and, and writing, it was like, Oh, now it's kind of like a letter. Yeah. And so, um, so I was able to kind of like, yeah, figure out the character to inhabit slightly. And then it was like, well, now it's a letter to, you know, to the end I'm going to meet. <laughs> yeah. And, and then that just felt like kind of playful and, um, yeah. And that just kind of got, I guess, yeah, that's how it, how it came together, mm-hmm. you know, initially. Um, so that has to be kind of a funny experience i guess of does it come together for you like oh this is this is actually this is the enemy that's that's talking like yeah because yeah totally because i didn't well i don't know we were just like living in such like a dark time and this is pre-pandemic but we were still living in a dark time um yeah you know we were living (laughs) under an administration that felt like you had to compartmentalize to just not pay attention. Even, you know, uh, you know, everything is so, the news is so, so disturbing and every day that you have to compartmentalize just to go about your daily Mm -hmm. business. Mm -hmm. And I think I felt some, like we all felt under four years of that, like just some darkness you're trying to kind of like keep at bay and so in, in a right. way. And so, yeah. So I think, you know, somewhere that spark of, of being, of telling the story in an almost like parody kind of comical way mm-hmm. was, I think the initial, stab at this was that it was kind of funny almost and almost a a stupid exercise of yeah um you know launching off from that point of view to tell the story um but then it began to evolve into something that felt a little more you know like me and like the story i was telling and that made more sense right it's not just Mm a parody it's almost like a um like, it's not just like the character is evil, you know, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like the first person character is like a Monty Burns kind of character. Sure. But it's also that there are certain complications here to right. being anyone. <laughs> yeah. I guess, you know, I don't know. Um, I mean, everybody's, everybody's complex like that. And the... I don't know the emotion that like rings true. It's all so human. 
of just you know that like all the kids are gone like this person's just like alone and yeah i think that you know if you if you make it so much of a parody that you don't bring emotion to this person that's not as interesting as what this turned out to be that's cool yeah um but i was really happy with i don't know it's got like uh it's got an interesting feel you know i feel we in the studio it was like really important to get the tempo right and to like get the feel right because the song could have very easily turned into um like just not having the um uh the urgency, mm-hmm. yeah. You know, it's a little bit slower. Uh, I think when we were like mapping it out in the studio initially, it was too slow. But I didn't want it to be too fast because then, you know, you kind of lose some of the words and everything. And so mm-hmm. we we're kind of walking a little bit of a tightrope on the tempo to make sure that it was right. And I felt like that was really important to how the song came out. Um, because it's like that bouncy, it's in that bouncy territory that like a little too fast and it's not bouncy enough and a little too slow and it just drags really hard. And so we're trying to figure out like, where's that, like, where's that tempo where the song kind of bounces, um, was like what I was looking for. Yeah. Totally. No, it, it hits. And like, man, that like the oil is beautiful it's flowing i don't feel empty anymore it's like man i don't know it made me think of like the bushes you know and i think that like something that was going through my head uh as i was reading through the lyrics again today was just like man this is that it reminds me so much of just like george bush is evil and then there's that human element that we like can't get over you know what I mean? Like at home painting pictures of his dogs. Right. Right. And it's like, well, that you can't just like not explore that. You can't just like chalk that up to something that is easily definable. But yeah, man, I I love this track. I think that you know, when it comes back to the black hole on the way out it's like we lost control that that ties you know both the person that exists in this song and then you you know like you're describing in the you know the fucking age that we're living in like what the fuck what else can you say yeah and i think it's also that i guess like as far as the rest of the record goes and the other songs is um you know that there is uh there's an after to all of these things that are bad that happen Uh um and i mean not not that it's like necessarily in the words in this song particularly in a clear way but it's just that um like there there will be a next there will be like a next mm-hmm. <laughs> you know like uh, like like even though we there are certain there's this certain doom we feel that uh, and that maybe these songs occasionally 
feel somewhat like helpless, like that they actually aren't, that there is still, and I think this is a Lawrence Arms thread for a long, long time, that in the face of things that feel, you know, uh, like the end, there's mm. some glint of a beginning and like that, like thread of hope that still exists beyond disaster. Yeah. Yeah. It's always there. Yeah, or maybe not. Us. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> if not, I mean, then it's, then we're all fucked. Yeah. So <laughs> I guess the, the other thing I would just say about this song, because like, it's a little, it's kind of a weird one to, to, to break down is just that the song really is about melodies, you know, like mm-hmm. a lot of the song was just really about being re- really like is, is, the melodies are so critical to, to the tune and, and the chorus melodies particularly were ones I was really stoked on and like how they came together. Yeah. That seems like it's like, it feels like that's a tough one to, to get right for a punk song, but you hit it. Well, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> I'm happy it worked out. All right, so we just heard from Chris. Now you're hearing from me and Brendan yet again. We did Goblin Fox Hunt, talked to Chris for Lose Control. And I think that it, I, one note that I made is that your two most, I think, overtly political songs are back to back here. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I guess, I guess so. I guess so because the beginning of it does start out very political, um, before becoming sort of a song about like finding love in the garbage of the whole thing. <laughs> um, and uh, which interestingly is like continues as a thread in the next song after this, but uh, the um. Loose Control, this was one that definitely also kind of had that um, Counting Crows really rocking song vibe to it at first, like before we put down the vocals and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And it was just sort of like, do we trust ourselves to continue building this, you know, because <laughs> like... Like, like it could really go any direction. Like, can we can we give it the muscle to uh, to really like you know stand on its own and sound like a Lawrence Arm song, you know? And um, this, what's funny is this one was like my favorite demo, um, mm-hmm. and it was, it was so different. It was like very tough this song, and it and yeah. like it ended up being um a lot more mid tempoy and subdued, but I don't think that's to the detriment of the song. I think that's important. That's what it needed to be. Mm-hmm. And, um, I think it turned out really nicely. It's got like a kind of like weird, like 
from the perspective of Scrooge McDuck thing going on a little bit. Yeah. You know, and like some of it, it's clearly like written from like a fictive standpoint. But it, it just reminds me of like hurling nickels down to the starving masses from your hot air balloon kind of shit. Yo, I think it's it's kind of wild to be talking about it now because just that line about the oil, like this made me think of Texas. Yeah. Just like Dallas billionaires. Yeah, totally. And uh it's um I I I don't know that I know what the is it, is it like a rosebud type thing? Is that is that what's what's going on here a little bit? Like, you know, we lost control, sort of an acknowledgement that like this this like sort of like life of avarice has sort of left this narrator feeling somewhat empty. I mean, that's sort of what yeah, I take away from it. I think but, we we kind of I might be making this conclusion post taste but we lost control is kind of the point where like the fictive narrator sort of meets chris mcgoggin the writer right at that at that point yeah we all come together in the end that's right oh no (laughs) um but yeah it's not a happy song i'll tell you that there's not like a conclusion right it's really like, um, it's like when the comic book store guy dies or whatever, and he's like, "Oh, I've wasted my life." <laughs> <coughs> right before he's like engulfed in flame or whatever. <laughs> um, don't look at me. Is what I'm. I'm interested. Do you remember when this one like came out came out in the writing process? So it's one of the first ones. Yeah. It was one of the earlier ones. This was the one I played uh Brett Gerowitz and he went, Oh fuck yeah, I'll do this record. <laughs> it's weird that it like ended up being kind of like in this like sort of like throwaway section or whatever on this because I feel like with sequencing being a little different, this could be a very like beloved song i think it's one of my favorite ones but it Mm -hmm. just didn't fit in it It, like i couldn't put it elsewhere you know yeah that's interesting that you brought that up because that's one of the things that i was that i wrote down is like looking at the way this one sits in between lose control and coyote crown is kind of interesting because I feel like Goblin Fox Hunt has that ending that feels a lot more like it would be the last song for as far as like songs that you sing on this record, but it starts kind of similarly to Coyote Crown. And so it's like, don't look at me. It starts out like, I don't know. It It, it is interesting to just look at like where it fits because... I feel like it's one that could go in a couple of different places, but it ends up here. Yeah, I mean, it's like, but the thing is, much like Quiet Storm, it could be the first song 
on the record because it like ramps. Yeah. You know, but much like Quiet Storm, it kind of can't necessarily be anywhere else. Yeah. Because of that reason. Mm-hmm. I mean, it could have been last, but Coyote Crown has that fucking outro that we'll talk about that's like got to be last. So like, it, you know, it just ended up having to be here. And um, again, like this was a big fave of all of ours. This is one of the first ones we laid down because mm-hmm. this was like such a like tentpole song in theory on this record. Yeah. And I think the performance is great. I mean, Neil's drums on this are so good. Yeah. I think the best drumming on the whole record. Yeah. Um, and like, you know, the, I think the vocal performance is good. The guitars are awesome. Yeah. I love those. And I think drums. it's well constructed, but and here's the thing, Tim. I don't know. Maybe people do love this song. We have never played it live. <laughs> <laughs> I just feel like like yeah. when I look at this, it gets lost in the shuffle. Yeah. Um, and it's just really surprising to me because that's – I don't think any of us expected that, really. I mean, I think that we suggested that this be a single, you know? Like, yeah. But – it's look, man, if the biggest problem with this record is that there's a song that I think is great. That's like the, people don't think is as great as the other songs. That means that everything's going pretty well, <laughs> you know, totally. totally. It is one that I try, I try to listen to everything a little bit differently just so I can look at, look at it and not, you know, I, what I'm what I'm trying to get at is that putting this song on and just listening to the song not within the sequence, I'm like, damn, the song's like better than I remember. Right. And within the sequence, it, it just kind of gets just lost. Kind of gets lost. It's so strange. Mm-hmm. It's weird. I mean, whatever. Like I said, man, good problem to have. You know, you got enough good songs that something a song like this can get lost in the mix. Mm-hmm. I ain't worried about it, but. I don't know. I really like this one. This is like, this one's got a really, is really close to my heart. And, uh, I don't know. I can't remember what other songs I wrote for this album now, but, uh, (laughs) but I feel like this one's sort of like the, the, the really like big, like artsy one that I did for this. And, And, and and like so it's it's weird to see like you know where well i mean i guess pigeons and spies is really the big artsy one that i did for this but well this one too i mean i i love the scene that it opens up with of like the sort of get together that is taking place like within all of this like the way that you're i guess combining like sort of apocalyptic imagery with um i don't know just i'm I'm thinking of things like words crashing bartenders and whims it's like you're you're carving out like a setting but you're also you when you use something like words crashing there's this end of the world feeling that's happening that you're saying without actually saying 
Yeah, and like, you know, I mean, the whole thing is sort of, I mean, this is a love song. Like, and it's like, uh, and it's sort of looking around um, in the beginning at like sort of a crumbling scene and then, you know, hold my hand, come this way, we're going to fucking cross the river sticks and fucking I'm already down with Cerberus. So we don't need to worry about that. And we're going to meet the devil. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, that's like literally what it is, you know? And it's about like, I mean, is it about like a mad descent maybe, but it's also about like sort of like hell's what you make it, you know? Mm-hmm. And, uh, <laughs> I don't know. That that seems like a cooler hell than the one that involves a bunch of fucking assholes jib jabbing all around you. You know. <laughs> <laughs> I think that this also has like one of the most interesting structures too, because it's like two verses, kind of a pre-chorus, and then a chorus that just immediately goes into. Another chorus. Yeah. And then the bridge. Yeah, the... Uh... Well, that's an outro, not really a bridge, but, you know, what well, same difference. But the... Uh... Is it only a bridge if it, like... It, it it's has... got a bridge two parts, but th- it goes. this okay. goes to the end. You know what I mean? Well, it's a bridge to the end of the world. Yeah, goddamn yeah. right. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, uh... Yeah, I mean, that was, like, sort of my exercise here was, like, how about how about a song that does, like, the, because uh, I've told, I've talked to you about, like, the different structures of songs and, how, like, mm-hmm. the hardest one to make good is no chorus at all, right? Mm-hmm. It's the easiest one to make okay, yeah, right? Um, then verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, chorus, outro. That's mm-hmm. pretty standard. Then there's song where like the the verse is the chorus like i want to be sedated mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. um and those that's harder but then the hardest is verse 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 chorus to the end over and over again like um uptight on nimrod by Green Day is a good example of that. Heard of them. Yeah. Up tight, I'm a nag with a oh, gun. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, nice. Dude, how does he do it? Let's go. You know, it's like once that shit mm-hmm. kicks in, it's like, oh, this is what I've been waiting for. But you need to like get the listener's engagement that whole time before yeah. with no chorus. Yeah. You know? And then it's like it pays off. Hopefully. Under road. Yeah. Close to it. I guess that like instrumental kind of axis, like a chorus. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I mean, there's not too many examples of songs that are structured like that, but, um, it, Best for You by Bad Religion is a little bit like that. Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, especially the way it just launches. Oh. Now that's a good song. Just talk about that. <laughs> Let's do it again. 
But yeah, um, and then again at the end, you know, it's Brandy coming back. Is that what it is? Because my life, my so. love, and my lady is the sea. Yeah. That's the whole line is, Brandy, you're a fine girl. What a good wife you would be. But my life, my love, and my lady is the sea. <laughs> so, Brandy obsession still intact. <laughs> Let's go to Chris. Great. We'll do Coyote Crown, and then we'll come back. Sounds great. So, Coyote Crown, last song on the record, and you said this is the first song you wrote for it? Yep. Yes, sir. Interesting. Do you do you know where the phrase Coyote Crown came from? Not exactly. I wrote the riff that kind of kicks off this song first was what mm-hmm. I was fucking with. And then started to kind of started to kind of come together from there. I I want to be kind of careful of like how much I like Coyote Crown I feel like is a very and part of the reason that I you know, was excited about this and this was the first one I sent to Brennan was that it just felt like an evocative image. Mm-hmm. Um, there's just something about, yeah, about the two words together felt very visual and it felt, um, yeah, I don't know. There's just a certain like way it comes off a tongue that was strong. <clears throat> um, yeah. And without like trying to like paint this picture too much, I would say that there's a little bit of like a where the wild things are kind of, mm-hmm inspiration there you know like i am a character in a weird children's story about the end of the world dancing around the fire yeah in you know in a kind of yeah like with a crown on my head of you know being uh turned over kind of to the wild mm-hmm. um so i guess maybe there's some inspiration there not to say mm-hmm. that that's like fully what it was about or the song is about per se but mm-hmm. um but i was certainly drawing some connections i think from that also it's like i felt like the song was had a certain fable quality yeah that i was trying to play off of a little bit and Mm-hmm. Um, and I liked I I liked that I, and I like not to be repeat myself a million times, but in the idea of like a lot of these songs being these short narratives and short stories, I like the idea of playing with them as almost you know chapters or like fables or different um, you know components in some. Mm-hmm. you know greater you know greater narrative but that they all exist on their own as these weird little narrative sna- narrative snapshots and so i think this one had a 
had a yeah almost like a children's book fable quality um to it yeah i i think it exists interestingly as like you know a source document for the rest of the record um this one is just you know it comes from aesop as opposed to uh yeah yeah totally salinger bulgakov yeah yeah exactly i think that's i actually i think that's basically that that's the right that's like how i would try to describe it i think i think that makes sense we got this uh, i but i i there is something like really really like magical uh, about those stories where you disappear to a world where you're like a hero or you're given a crown you're suddenly like not you anymore you're like everything to these folks who have been waiting for you i think that that's yeah yeah no i mean i love i kind of love that like framing of it i think the other part of the song um like when i try to like scroll back through the words in my head um you know there's there's certainly a youth a youth gone by component um to i think some of like the the first verse and the kind of like maybe going over in your head a bit of what has transpired on the way and then you know, I think the greater and please just shoot me. Um, the greater existential question here at play in the song is really like, uh, you know, have I hit the point where I'm in charge of the story or not? Mm-hmm. You know, um, like if I saw myself at one point as having this tremendous amount of free will was that an illusion? Yeah. And is that no longer an illusion? Or are we always living on a timeline where we think we have free will, but then in the hindsight that exists, like as you barrel on, mm-hmm. does that always end up being not true? Right. <laughs> it's like <laughs> like no matter what control you assert some it's going to come and smack you in the face and be like who the yeah. fuck do you think well, you are? Well, and also are? also no matter like how much you your perception of that mm-hmm. is accurate versus looking back and Oh yeah, and uh, and you know, it, it, like, like the song is a lot about. I think like, is what you perceive, you know, real, and is the life that you've lived up until that moment, um, how you perceived it, how you perceive it now, how has that like changed, and how does that like impact your notion of, um, of your own 
free will and ability to, you know, actualize your life. Mm -hmm. Um, And obviously, like, it would be fair to say, no, that's all totally bullshit. You're reading, like, you're extrapolating way too much off of what is just a song. And that's a fair stance. But Mm -hmm. I would say that, like, generally, I think the song is, is about, like, you know, is a is about interacting with some notion of what it is to have free will and and then on top of it you know this kind of you know end of the world fable and making it to the other side mm-hmm. like the Lawrence Arms as a band we're not about the end of the world everything's destroyed we're about the transition from a world you know to a world that is not the same Mm-hmm. and existing on the other side of that disruption. Right. I mean, it's it's wild because I'm not sure if this is intentional, but it, the first verse really makes me think of, you know, the stories I've heard about you and Brendan making tapes together um, yeah. when you're when you're 10 years old. And here we are. um and like the fact that you're still making records together is fucking insane. But for sure, I I don't think either of you pictured it going the way that it has uh, when you were making those tapes. Because you're you're, I mean, it took your it took your band so long to fucking just reach the point that where where you did in, in 2006 yeah. and when you were the best fucking band in Chicago still reigning champs <laughs> no i mean that's true i mean our 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 story is is one of um i mean there's brendan and my story which goes back obviously you know a long long way and then there's the story of this band which you know, has a lot of like um, slow building, and mm-hmm. um, you know, I in some ways had a lot of different times where maybe it would have ended based on you know a variety of scenarios. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I think. Definitely, this first verse is is one hundred percent kind of about um, you know, dreaming about what a future could look like from an early stage of <laughs> of what you found you like and think is cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, um, or just like that. There is, yeah, that you've been able to, yeah, realize a world outside of, you know your bedroom or whatever, I mm-hmm. guess. Um. Mm-hmm. I love that, like, that regrets just cracks in my ribs. It comes in so strange. I don't know if it's, like, if it's, like, the minor that you come in on or if it's just, like, your vocal there. Yeah, kind of, I think it's a few things. One, it, it is, like, a a different minor, but it's also the only time that happens in the song. Yeah. Um, 
and in on a record with a lot of repetition, that's like definitely a, I mean, it just happens once. Mm-hmm. And it's just like the one, it's a pre-chorus, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, but the second one, the second verse does not have the pre-chorus. You know, it just mm-hmm. goes right into the chorus. So it's a, yeah, it's a, it's a little, it's a weird part. Um, so I think it's a combination of like, it only happens once, happens early in the song. It is a minor that, you know, is not, is is like a little, I mean, it's not a weird chord per se in the whatever, like theory of, of it, but it, it takes you a little slightly like off guard. And then, mm-hmm. um, and then, yeah, maybe like the delivery also is probably like a part of that. Yeah. Um, just cause you have like a really melodic, very like, uh, almost like predictable, uh, first verse, you know, you can kind of like, it follows a very like clear logic, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know? <clears throat> um, so yeah. Yeah. It would also be like, if you're going to say, I found my way here on a crooked line, you can't just, can't just skip ahead. You got to at least hear some of the crookedness. Yeah. Um, what's what else is interesting about this song? I everything is interesting about it. I really like, you know, the, I mean, the entire end from when it kind of breaks down, you know, all the way through the like the double guitar solo is certainly yeah. a, a um, yeah a a part. Um, I was super excited about and like the bass line at the end is great. And like the, the drums and bass at the end are like this kind of weird, like driving space jam, which I love. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, after, after kind of like the, I wear a coyote crown, I watch the world burn down refrains, you know, at the end mm-hmm. when it just kind of like, is like the bass and drums driving. You just and then the guitars really start to ramp up and, um, yeah, I mean, I, it was very intentional, I guess, in the studio when we were all talking about it, like, how do we build this into a, essentially a kind of like weird cosmic, you know, um, ending. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I just think I like how it turned out. Uh, I think it create, I think it creates like a lot of sort of I feel like the mood and like the feel just really, really, really synced up there in this great way. And I think doing two guitar solos is always a risk, (laughs) (laughs) Um, you know, really, it could have really sucked. Uh, But then I thought about like Brett Gerowitz's guitar, like kind of dueling guitars on like kerosene. Mm-hmm. or something mm-hmm. and i was like we can totally we can totally find a way to pull this off yeah <laughs> when we when brendan and i talked about the, the demon i was like and then fucking cc deville comes in and he's like no <laughs> slash and i was like you're right you're right you're right you're right but, yeah i don't know about that um, <laughs> yeah. well it's huge you know it's just that like like the and and i and the solos on here like are reminiscent of that too where it's like this is the 
if you were the type uh you could stand on a monitor and play that solo. <laughs> that would be great yeah um, i mean the demon solo was like like these these at the end are i mean they're solos don't get me wrong they're like guitar solos i guess that's what they are um hard to hard to uh build that argument any other any other way right um but there's a certain kind of like uh it's just driving in this in this direction of oblivion you know Mm -hmm. and you can kind of get away with like uh as far as the the actual like playing of the solo you can kind of get away with like it's starting to fade to static and like Mm -hmm. all this like just like whatever uh uh, it's 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 got a chaos to it. it. It feels somewhat controlled, but there's a chaos to it that is just uh, um, like a nature the of the part, you know. Were you in the room mm-hmm. with the amps when you were doing those? Or were no, you no, no. Room? I did all of my tracking, and I've done this for a long time. Like with Matt, we do all the tracking from the control room, yeah. so that I'm like sitting with Matt, and like I just we're like listening back together and we just pipe the, um, the guitars into the, into the room so that I can hear them. Mm-hmm. And without having to have headphones on or anything, I could just play in the room, yeah. which really work, which works for me a ton. Totally. Um, so like did the first one, you know, and we had something really, like, yeah, yeah, that's cool. Like we need to get the other one out and we need to run this again. And I just kept fucking with it until we had something that was like, yeah, we can live with that. And like, we like, I liked it more or less, you know, um, within my capabilities as a player. (laughs) Um, but the demon solo was much more of like, all right, here it's coming. It's coming. Ready? Mm -hmm. One, two, three, four. And like, and then I just, I had written half of it, like actually like really wrote the the solo very specifically, Mm -hmm. um, with like a few, uh, moments of like improvisation built in but it was a much more planned piece you know yeah guitar work whereas like the stuff at the end of coyote crown was way more like throw me in i'm just gonna Mm -hmm. go for it you know i've got ideas and i know kind of what i want the vibe to be and if i can get the vibe then that's all i fucking care about Mm -hmm. like i just want vibe whereas like the demon solo was much more like no this needs to be um, a certain way. And I just got lucky and I kind of nailed it and got the vibe with the spacing and the, and the stuff that was pre-written on the first try. Yeah. <laughs> first take. <laughs> I think I did a few, but I think the first one we were like, Oh yeah, the first one's like, it's, and that's how it happens, you know, with a lot mm-hmm. of things. Usually you know, by the third time you're overthinking it and you're trying to like make it right. And then you, then you've lost, you know? Right. Right. Yeah. I love the way this song ends. It's kind of like, I think people, people do fade outs because it's like, how do you end the song? And this seems like it would be in that category, but at the same time with all this annihilation, it's like, no, let's, let's get in the fucking way of that. Just yeah, and suck it out. I mean, it was super conscious. We wanted it to like basically fade into static and into the black hole. You know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that was that was the idea. And then how can we create that with, you know, just with like a la- like the sonic landscape of the end of the record? And 
Um, I mean, I know Brendan like felt early on, like, I don't see how, especially after we tracked, he's like, I just don't see how the song's not last. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, that certainly became really clear. And then once that became clear, it's like, okay, well, how do we like double down on that? Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's so good. It's because so everything is about recognizing the opportunity you have based on decisions you make. Mm-hmm. It's like we can totally blow this out and turn this into the burning world or whatever that this record is kind of about. And that's how the record ends, you know? Mm-hmm. So I was the hero of another time. Is that a reference to chapter 13? Yeah, maybe a little bit, not totally consciously, but it uh-huh. is a little, um, you know, there, there's also, you know, there was a, a famous novel called the hero of our time. That was like a, a Russian novel by uh-huh. a writer. Lermontov was his, oh, sure. was his last name. Mikhail. And so I was kind of playing with that a little bit too. Mm-hmm. Like, like, uh, like almost in an, a comic way that like, I, <laughs> here I am. Uh-huh. And I am just not the hero for this moment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know? yeah. Um, but I'm listening back to the tape that, that I that, made. Yeah. Uh-huh. That felt, that felt, that felt almost like funny to me, I guess. So I was like playing with a little bit of those things. Like, yeah, like right. the, the, obviously the, you know, the chapter 13, the hero appears, um, which for, a long, 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 long time was, was my favorite book. Not that it isn't now, but, um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and like the, uh, you know, in the master of Margarita in chapter 13, the poet homeless, um, is been taken to the mental hospital and the master appears at his window. And that's like the whole sort of like notion of that chapter. And, um, so yeah, I guess, uh, in some ways that line was a little bit of a tip of the hat to that stolen reference and mm-hmm. then also stealing another reference and repurposing it for my own usage of, you know, again, like this notion that like the anti-hero or, um, you know, that maybe, uh, maybe my time has passed, I guess would be the other thing that is lurking in that line was just that, you know, um, if we could just go back a few, you know, I really could be the hero of this moment. Right. <laughs> but now it's too late. <laughs> well, in, in this universe, it's too late for all of us. So what what can you do? What can you do, man? Keep, just keep going. Um. This is uh this has been an, a really cool thing to be able to do with you, Chris. I Hell yeah, Tim. Uh, likewise, man. Um it's fun to get to be able to yeah, talk about these and think about them again in kind of a new way now that it's been a while and um you know, I don't know, like we like we talked about it. it'll be it'll be fun 
when the songs get a new life, you know, again, at some time, um, mm-hmm. th- that's always the, the hopes and dreams, you know, of, <laughs> of making something and then getting to, uh, you know, experience it again and hopefully in a world that, uh, yeah, looks a bit different than the one we're living in now. For sure. All right, man. Thanks so much. Thank you, Tim. Talk to you soon, man. Cool. So, Coyote Crown. This is like, I, I remember hearing this record the whole thing for the first time and when coyote crown ended or it was like starting to fade i just started laughing i was like no they fucking yeah didn't. i mean the thing is this is like a this is a very in a in a way is a very simple Chris song that's even like restrained. Or like, you know, that's like when Danny first heard this song, Dan Andriano, he doesn't not a lot of people still call him Danny, I guess. Um, well we did on Patreon, patreon.com slash better sandwich. <laughs> but um like when he first heard this record, he was just like texting me and he's like, Why doesn't Chris do that hero of another time thing again? Why does he just do it one time? And then he wrote back and was like, that's fucking stupid. I hate it when people try to tell me how to write songs. Never mind. <laughs> you know. And um You mean the regrets part? Because hmm? there's that there's that we do uh, rewind a hero of another time twice. But there's no, that but, regrets. No, oh. but he wanted it to repeat Gotcha. In itself. Mm-hmm, in, mm-hmm. You know. Rewind, I was a hero of another time. Rewind. Mm-hmm. I was a hero of another time. Was, you know, whatever the fuck it would end up being. Gotcha. That's not what it is. So yeah, it's yeah, just, yeah. you know. <laughs> but, um, so that's what I mean when I say it's like very restrained in a way. And, and like this song did kind of have like a sort of unassuming demo. Mm-hmm. And it was when we started to demo like to to really like work on it as a band all of a sudden we started just like sort of really putting in these parts at the end and sort of building out the end mm-hmm. and that was when it really took on this like totally different kind of life um and the i mean it's pretty haunting you know yeah like it goes from that from the chorus to that like super disintegration by the cure part i mean like that's mm-hmm. like what like we were like listening to like those tones all match yeah in that part you know like on purpose mm mm-hmm. mhm just the hell yeah right you know and uh i wouldn't figure you for a disintegration by the cure fan yeah it's the only cure album i really like actually 
And that that I believe. Um, I like I like other songs, but mm-hmm. it's just got such a like grimy vibe. Like the sound yeah. of it is like really like sparse and dirty. It almost sounds like it's made in Chicago. Really. Um, like huh. with that bass tone and that bass being like the overriding yeah. sort of driver. It's oh, you're uh, talking like like touch and go. Yes. Chicago. Yeah. I never thought about it that way. I know um, I'm doing after this. <laughs> um but so then it goes into that and then it starts like the chance. And then when we were in the studio, we just kept being like, let's put another guitar on. Let's put another guitar on. Let's put another guitar on. Mm-hmm. You know? And I think even after everybody was like, this is good, I was like, no, we need more. We need more. <laughs> like, it's, it's just like, I don't think we can half step it. You know? Like, yeah. It's like if we're going to go in this like, blistering insanity direction uh we need to go blistering insanity all the way like there's nothing cool about like uh, heated up insanity right. <laughs> it needs to be blistering so the yeah. idea of like the guitars kind of taking over was already there no it really wasn't it mm-hmm. was like there was going to be a guitar solo at the end and that was going to be it were you going to fade out? Well, here's the thing. I think... Man, I don't remember now, but I think it was supposed to fade out and Matt just didn't do it. Yeah. Like, I think that at the end, Chris was like, I still want it to fade out. Mm-hmm. And, like, just in the... Like, sort of like... So, like, the fuzz was, like, the last thing you'd hear as it faded. Mm-hmm. And I think the drums do fade. The drums fade out, and yeah. the, the like the mid range comes up mm-hmm. to uh, to sort of like make the whole thing a complete cacophony or whatever. But um, I think that was supposed to be in concert with a fade, um, and Matt just didn't do it. And at this point, I can't even rem- like I remember being like, "Yeah, I agree. It should have a fade." Mm-hmm. But I don't remember what that fade was supposed to be, and I think the way it ends is pretty awesome. So I am not. Yeah. And I think it was a wise move of Matt to just kind of not hear that. Yeah. <laughs> you know what totally. I mean? Totally. Totally. Um, but this one is definitely like really haunting. Um, it, by the end, I think in the beginning, it's just sort of like. Um, Sounds like a Chris McCoggins song that's like, you know, uh, I mean, he doesn't write a bad song, so it's a good song, but it's just like, okay, here we go. This is cool. And then it just like takes that turn when like that disintegration guitar comes in and the the bass line starts like kind of taking over and it's like, oh, what's happening here? Yeah. (laughs) You know? It Uh, reminded me a lot of... uh... The record The Woods by Slayer Kenny. 
where they do it a couple of times where just the guitars sort of stop everything and take over. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's so overdriven like the guitars at the end. And I think for me, it was a cool connect to just be like, ah, Pacific Northwest. There he is. Oh yeah. Maybe, maybe so. I mean, I don't know. I'm, I'm not a big Slater Kenny guy, so. The Woods is great. If anybody out there is looking for something to listen to after you listen to They Come to America and after you listen to Skeleton Coast multiple times today, you put on The Woods. Ten songs. Can't go wrong. That's right. When you heard the words to this, because this was the first song that Chris sent you for this record. Um. There are definitely references to you and Chris making tapes back in the day and a nod to Ghost Story or to Greatest Story. Um, I guess what, what effect did those two things have on your writing, if any? Huh, you know what? I'm like looking at the lyrics now and, um, I guess that's not the way I ever read it, but I think you're right. I mean, I think that's what the rewind is, right? It's about like old cassettes and stuff and mm-hmm. like the sort of the lost youth and going back there. But like, I don't know that I am involved in this song. Like, I mean, I'm, I'm obviously the bass player. I think this might be a much more personal uh, thing that mm-hmm. involves like, um, it's just this is about one it is a very singular song is what I'm saying mm-hmm. like this song is about a guy sitting alone in front of a fire with a coyote skull on his fucking head mm-hmm. I don't think that there's like a part where there's like <laughs> and my buddy <laughs> you know like uh, I think uh, I mean maybe I'm wrong you know like um we do have such a shared um, history that it's kind of hard to, I mean, nothing could be truly divorced, you know, Mm -hmm. like, uh, but I don't know. This just seems a little more singular to me. Like I don't see, there's some songs where I see like a reference and I'm like, Oh, that's, that's about us back in the day. Or that's about us now. Or that's like a, Mm -hmm. that's a dig at, a certain kind of behavior that is kind of aimed at me or, you know, like stuff like that. And that, that has happened on occasion. You know, I've, at least I've inferred that a few times, Uh you know, whether I'm right or not. I mean, we, we really don't talk about stuff like that ever. Like we never talk about what each other's songs are about or anything, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, that's so crazy to me. Is that like, is that common? Is that because I feel I don't know. I'm just such a dork that I'm always like, oh, what's what does that mean? Can you imagine like Ian Mackay being like, "Hey, Gee, what's Blueprint about?" <laughs> like, it's just not going to come up. Yeah. it's like it's like i got this guitar part for you Uh you know like that's like sort of how it goes and 
we're, we're weird as this is to say we're men you know uh <laughs> and yeah. like like if we're little kids it's like yeah you fucking write a song when you're 15 you're like yeah this is what this is about this is this this is this this is this and then you know at this point it's just like i trust your art and your vision man i i like it i'm gonna I'm going to take my own meaning from it exactly the way everybody else does. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. Um, Is that why I always feel like a kid when I'm talking to you? No, it's because um, I'm like 35 years older than you. Oh, okay. <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah. Um. I but again, mean, I guess to finish what I was saying, yeah. sorry, I kind of trailed off there. Uh-huh. Um, this is not a song I see like that at all. Uh-huh. I don't I don't really see uh, – it doesn't say arrested syntax of our youth, you know? Sure. Sure. Mm-hmm. But I mean like that would be a big giveaway if, you know, that it was – about more than one person. Mm-hmm. Well, what about I, I was a hero of another time? That that was well, I you know like story. I guess oh, I'm, you... think I'm putting it together just in the context of you, you know, saying the greatest story is kind of in the fabric of this record in particular. No, that's 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 true. Um... Yeah, I see, and I'm like kind of naive about this stuff too. Honestly, um, I don't, I don't have a good brain for inference at all. Um, I don't think that using the word hero twice in 21 years really necessarily means that that's the reference. Yeah, you know. But like, maybe I'm totally fucking wrong. And I mean, like, smaller things have been, um. You know, footnoted as important references mm-hmm. like that. You know, from like from various artists. I'm not just talking about us, right? Right, right. right. And, and and I, I, I'm, I'm coming at this more in just the terms of like if that had an effect on you or your writing on the record. But this no, was... this this song actually seemed so casual to me in the demo. Uh huh. Just like straightforward, I was like, "Oh, it's a dope song. Let let let's keep going." Like mm-hmm. I definitely didn't see it for what it turned into at all, and not like um, I don't know what 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 was the one that uh, like last last words where I said to you, I believe that like I didn't get the demo. Like mm-hmm. I was kind of like, "Huh? All right. I mean, I." This could work out, I guess. You know, this one, I was like, this is dope. I like it. But it, I didn't see it for being like this brooding, like, space coyote thing that it turned into. Mm-hmm. Well, this is, this is it. This is, this is the record. And I know that it's a little bit different from the others in terms of release. And I also know that uh, this is always a difficult question, but 
Where does it rank for you? It ranks right near the top to me. Um, I think that our last three albums are really good. And um, I, I mean, I'm, there's like part of my brain that goes like, uh, you know, Metropole is kind of like, that was just to prove you could still do it. And like, now you came back with this, but there's some fucking bangers on that album that like, I listen to it. I'm like, fuck. Oh yeah. Yeah. No, this is a really good record. And, um, and it's also like very special to me in terms of like the time and place, you know? Um, Mm. and, and, I'd say that yeah, this is so like convoluted to say that's what records do, right? They're, they're time and place things, yeah. you know, and it's not just for me. It's not like, it's like, it's like, Hey, I got into Oak Calcutta when I was in high school. And so therefore that's my favorite punk rock album. Mm-hmm. And it's like, man, I was part of writing Metropole when I was, you know, 39 and didn't know if I was still going to be able to do this. Mm-hmm. You, you know what I mean? That yeah. like, I listened to this and it got me through my dad's cancer. It's like, I listened to this and it got me through like me wondering if I was still able to do the thing I love, you know? So beyond the fact that there's some, like, I think really banging songs on there. I, I don't know. I put these top three, I put it in top three and yeah. those are my top three. Mm-hmm. Metropole, El Calcutta, and Skeleton Coast. And I put El Calcutta probably at the top. Um, because, again, for nostalgia reasons, but also... Uh, I mean, come on. We owe our fucking bread and butter to that goddamn album. <laughs> yeah, that's one that I think is really easily easy to see in the most objective terms for what it is and the effect that it had. Yeah. Yeah. And I love the energy of it. I, I can't wait to see what these songs are like, if that ever happens again. Cause I don't know. You yeah. know what I mean? Like I thought that fucking Chilean district off of, uh, Metropole would be like a stone cold banger live, and it is not. Mm-hmm. I thought that um, Falcon, uh, the the trash on uh, Gather Up the Chaps. I thought that was going to be just like showstopper. Yeah, and it it is, <laughs> but not in the right way, uh, <laughs> and. Uh, you know, so, and then there's songs that, like, you think aren't going to do shit live, and you try them out, and it's like, oh, fuck. Mm-hmm. We should be playing this all the goddamn time. Yeah. You know, and it's like, I, I can't wait to see on this record wh- what what's what, you know? And, like, th- there's some songs, I know this from just being a fan of music and going to see live music, there's songs that people don't think they like, and then they see live, and they go, oh. Yeah. 
I'm going to go crazy for this song, actually. Yeah. You know? And and I think that's really interesting and cool, too. Um, so it's like, yeah, what is it? Is it, like, the people that, like, like, uh, is PTA going to be a total turd when we play it live? And then, like, everybody fucking hates don't look at me on the record but then they fucking go crazy for it i don't know like it, you can't tell yeah you know it has to have like it has to be observed and i find that to be just it's an aspect of this creative process that i sorely sorely miss to be honest yeah for sure i mean i guess that's Frankly, that's the the best way I can put it. How about making it? Because it sounds like just the studio experience was so singular. Yeah. Um, you know that line in Pulp Fiction where... He's like, I wish I caught him doing it. Talk about Keenan's car. He's yeah. like, it's almost worth him doing it for me to have caught him. <sighs> you know? And I kind of think like the reverse, it's almost worth not being able to tour on this to have it, to have been able to make it how we did. Mm-hmm. Like it's, again, like Vincent said, it's not oh. quite, but it's almost worth it. Yeah. Like it was such a, it was such an experience. And I mean, like, who can say what that impact was on the record? Like, I don't believe that you can assess yourself in a moment. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I don't, I don't know what that sound is also. Um, sorry. <laughs> um, probably something I should look into. Uh, but, uh, but like, you know, people are like, oh, it really informed this and that and this about the album. It's like, did it? <laughs> or those things that you were going to do anyway? And like, or was it like, was it really the Saguaro Cactus? Or was it like the Les Paul in the room? Right. You, know, you, you know what I mean? Like, I, like, I, and, and, and like, I think, I think that there was an effect. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, there has to be. Everything informs everything, right? Um, but it's not easy enough for me to say, like, oh, yeah, you know, like, we went to the desert and recorded this desert album. It, because we wrote the desert album before we went to the desert. Right. <laughs> you know? I think there's a <laughs> lot more, like, coincidence there that just happened to work out and, like, Maybe it fed into something, but it's hard to say. I mean, if anything, we all got a lot of sleep. We were all well fed, you know? Um, Yeah. Did a lot of, like, walking in, like, fresh, clean air. Didn't have to go home and, like, be a real person. Didn't have to go home and be a real person. And I think that that all leads to you know healthy mind and focus and totally. i think that that was a, 
a big thing. And um, I don't know. I mean, I just I just loved it down there. I I I know why Al Jorgensen went down there to live for a while. You know, it's it's, it's the life, man. Well, shit, man. I love this record, and it's it's uh, got a very special place in my heart. Aside from spending this time with you in the uh, in the post skeleton coast making of, that's a sentence. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that there's like there is a very particular type of validation that you get when someone you've been following for a while manages to make another good thing and to never fall from the uh the place that you hold them in well thanks man um you know we are good team you know and um like any good team we stay hungry and i'm glad that we were able to do it again and it's um uh, said it before i'll say it again man it's not lost on me that this could have sucked real bad um but i mean it's sort of the beauty of our band is like if it sucked we just not do it yeah <laughs> you know, like we can, like, it's not like we're not like glory chasing fucking kids who like need to put something out every year. We're not old men doing a reunion thing that like is going to all equally be a glory chasing thing. Mm-hmm. We have, we have a career built on writing songs and putting them out and we take our time. Everybody knows that. But we build brick houses, for lack of a better term, you know? And and it's like when we... Will it run out at some point? Yes. Yes, it will. <laughs> you know, like, uh, I don't know if that's mm-hmm. going to be when one of us fucking dies or finds Jesus or, you know, whatever. I mean, anything could happen, you know? Um the Jesus thing seems a yeah, little unlikely, say, but please don't find Jesus. <laughs> don't I've, I've, I'm, I'm more on the I've lost Jesus side. Um, <laughs> oh, what happened? Well, he lost Jesus, and then <sighs> that was the end of that. Yeah, he's driving. He's driving around Bucktown looking for him. <laughs> oh, there he is! 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 <laughs> That's a joke about how everyone in Bucktown looks like fucking Jesus these days. Oh, I thought uh, that was a joke about how God's everywhere. Oh, you know, that whole country. Yeah, that's good, too. <laughs> I say that like I don't look like the fucking beat-up version of the zigzag man. Uh, <laughs> this is our podcast. It's called Road to the Skeleton Coast. It is a damn pleasure to do it each week we thank you for joining us please 
Uh, tell your friends, rate and subscribe on your podcast player of choice. We have a Patreon, patreon.com slash batter sandwich, where we get on once in a while and eulogize Rush Limbaugh or hear some stories about uh, unfriendly audiences or just talk to cool homies like Deanna Bellows. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dave Hawes. Yeah. Um, that's a way for you to help support us to do what we do next week. We're going to do, we are the champions of the world, which is our, uh, sort of open-ended topic. We'll talk about some, uh, songs that we've talked about, but maybe have some other thoughts on. We will take your questions at Brendan Kelly podcast at gmail.com and We'll see where that takes us on this road to the Skeleton Coast. That was wonderful. Thanks, Bubba. <laughs> we'll see you next week. Thank you, friends. Bye. Good stuff. Oh, I know.